All right, everybody. Welcome back to another edition of The Teardown. My name is Jeff Gluck. I'm along with my coworker, Jordan Bianchi. We are motorsports writers for The Athletic, and we have one week. This is our last episode before we actually have real racing to talk about on the track. Uh, a week from now, we're recording this Sunday, uh, January 29th, and a week from now, we will be together in Los Angeles, California at the Coliseum, and we will be able to have a real post-race podcast after that. So that'll be very fun to talk about the clash there. Jordan didn't get to go last year, so I'm so excited to see what his take is on it uh, and how he views it. Uh, and, and, you know, I'll be able to compare what I thought, you know, last year's race to this year's race and the event and all that stuff. So lots of exciting stuff to talk about. But first, uh, one last sort of off-season episode here. Jordan, how are you doing today? I'm doing well. I'm excited for the clash next week. I, I chose not to go last year and I literally, I was okay with the decision. And then the first activity or whatever I saw, you know, all the, the social media posts and I went, man, I merely made a bad choice. Like, why did I not go? <laughs> and it was a big feeling of missing out. So I'm looking to go. I made the right decision this year to go looking forward to it. It's going to be fun. And I think your point, and I've heard this from other, from other people is like, well, it's going to be interesting to compare. You're one to year two at the same energy levels there. The same enthusiasm is there. And is this, was last year just kind of lightning in a bottle and a one-off thing? Or is this something that could be something more and it could become a yearly thing? And very curious to see that. It's going to be interesting to see how this unfolds. Yeah, still a lot of questions in year two. Yes. But um, first, uh, since this is our last off-season one, sort of, although we'll have one, you know, in between the Clash and the Daytona 500, but our plan for that is that we might actually do that uh, while we're in Daytona, maybe after media day or something like that. So we can get a little bit more of a Daytona 500 preview or maybe having after talk to some people instead of dropping a, an episode for no reason on Super Bowl Sunday. Um, so, uh, that, that's our plan for now. So this is our real sort of true last off season one, but, uh, we are working on a project. We've, we've teased it a couple times on here and we're ready to talk about it now because the first edition is coming out Monday, January 30th, we think. Um, that's the plan anyway, tomorrow, uh, <laughs> as we record this and it is called, uh, well, I guess, I don't know what, what our official name is, but I, I'm ca- sort of calling it the athletics NASCAR 75 project. You guys have seen, you know, uh, of course, like in 1998, NASCAR did their 50 greatest drivers list. Now it's the 75th anniversary of NASCAR. You know, you saw the NBA did it like a NAS- uh, NBA 75 where they named the best 75 players in history. So we sought uh, to try and find, come up with the best 75 Cup Series drivers in NASCAR history. Now, this is not, um, you know, it, when you look at NASCAR's list from 1998, Jordan, there's, you know, it, all sorts of various series. You know, you got the modified type people on there or, or Xfinity type drivers on there. This is only Cup. So uh, a lot more challenging and a lot, a lot more surprising in a way uh, you know, the names that, that ended up on this list, I think are, we didn't see a lot of those coming. I would say, is that fair? Uh, very fair. You know, as we started kind of laying the groundwork for this, I, I we went through and I looked at the, the list that nice car put together in 1998 and we kind of used that as a framework, but we both, we decided like we were going to focus on cup drivers only. So that was the criteria. So you had to start pulling guys off of that list. And and as you're looking at this, you're like, okay, well, who's going to slide in? And obviously, since 1998, there's been a lot of big-name drivers that have come through that are very worthy. The Hamlins, the Bushes, Johnsons, you know, Earnhardts, etc. And you're like, okay, you should fill this up. But then you kind of get to, like, 65 drivers, and you're like, wait a second. Okay, how is this going to work? How do you fill out this list? And you start really thinking, like, oh, you know, there's a driver on here that, you would never think that would be considered the one of the all-time best in NASCAR and the top 75 drivers of all time. And you're like, no, this driver's actually easily made this list. And I, that was an interesting observation. And then the other observation, we're going to dive into this kind of throughout this podcast a little bit is about certain guys and everything is you look at guys' criteria and you kind of had certain belief about their careers in your head, good or bad. But then when you dive into the numbers, you're like, oh, wait a second. This guy had a really better career than I thought and much better career than I thought. Conversely, there are some guys whose careers are depending on how you measure them. And that's, that's going to be something to kind of talk about as well is you look at their career and you're like, yeah, they did all of this, which is a lot of great stuff, but they also didn't do this and their career. Like it, it felt like they were, you know, it felt 
a little, I don't say unfulfilled. That's not the right word. What would be the word? Like uh, the basket wasn't as full as you thought it would be maybe. <laughs> so yeah, I, I, you know, and I, I I'll tell I you, mean, I'll, I'll go ahead and say it. like, as I kind of put together my list is obviously championships, winning championships, winning multiple championships is, is really important. Um, obviously race wins is, is important, especially in the modern era. I, I did tend to favor guys who did a lot more in the modern era. Um, though, my number one on my list we'll get into is, is not something in the modern era necessarily um, or not the hundred percent. And I also looked at crown jewel events. Like I really put a lot of weight on winning crown jewel events. And that was the Southern 500 Daytona 500, the Coca-Cola 600. And obviously you have to be kind of careful how you use this. Cause it was only for a short period of time was the Brickyard 400. And I looked at how drivers did in the, in the majors. And those, to me, are major events and the best come out in those events. So that, that, that that's kind of my quick synopsis on this project, if you will. Yeah, I mean, when you look at it, um, you know, playoff formats have changed, race formats have changed, uh, the schedule, how many races people, you know, run in a season has changed. But um, I think ultimately sort of the best thing you can look at is, you know, ch- you know, championships, one thing, but you can't, you know, back in the day, that wasn't a priority for those guys. So wins, um, you know, is, is the more common thread throughout the years, even though wins, you know, you could argue er- in the early days, you know, maybe a, a midweek race against a smaller field or something. Um, you know, that, that's, that's <coughs> a little bit different. Richard, Richard Petty. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, that, that, I mean, that's, that is a thing. It's a consideration. Yeah. Um, and then, yeah, I mean, when you look at you know the the crown jewels of modern era, I mean, to me, I'm I'm leaning modern era anyway because I think okay, look, today you have drivers who started racing when they're three, four years old, and they're competing their entire lives and being honed for the you know the big time, um, you know, against similarly talented individuals, and and really sort of you have to be so elite to make it where. You know, back in the day, I mean, let's this that was the reality of the time. But you know, somebody's not starting their career at in in their twenties, and you know, in the nineteen fifties, and just like, oh, I'm, I I got a car, and I'm just going to go run this, and um, you know, hey, I think I'm pretty brave and a good driver. I mean, it was just a different skill set required, a different you know talent level throughout the field back then. People winning by several laps because it was so much more about you know the reliability of the car and at at times. So. You know, you, it's it's hard to NASCAR is very difficult to define. I think um, you know the NBA or something was it would be a lot easier. You look at okay, points and you know like how how championships sure in the NBA too. But um, anyway, so the the good news is uh, we it's not just this project is not just Jordan and I that decided this. Um, we had twenty four other people throughout the NASCAR industry who joined us, and I'm going to run through that list. Real quick, Jordan, just interrupt me if you want to chime in on anybody. But basically what we we, we wanted to do is, um, first of all, it, it was, was kind of a tough one because, you know, anybody that is in some sort of position, uh, you know, with a team or anything in the industry or, or it would have worked with one of these drivers could have a potential bias, right? Um, but we didn't want, and, and so that's, that's kind of hard to avoid, but we didn't want drivers themselves who are going to be eligible for this list to be in a position to have to vote for them. So... Um, none of the top 75 drivers are, were, were voted on this list. Uh, however, we had, you know, team owners, crew chiefs. And so I'm going to run in, into that list a, a little bit here. Oh, one more thing before I, uh, say the names, we also wanted to have a variety for each of these segments, like, okay, well, let's get, um, let's get a crew chief, but let's get, you know, current crew chiefs and former crew chiefs. Let's get, um, you know, current drivers and former drivers, um, you know, or, veteran motorsports journalists who don't necessarily cover it on a week to week basis anymore. Um, and people like us who are, you know, there and a little bit on the younger side. So, uh, here, here's our list uh, of the 26 voters. It was Jordan. Of course, this is, I'm going to alphabetical order. So Jordan with your B name there, you are, you were first. Congrats. Right, makes me feel good. Yeah. Uh, Holly Kane, um, longtime motorsports journalist. Steamed, yeah. Um, and has been for a variety of a variety of outlets um, has been covering the sport for a long time. Uh, Landon Castle, uh, Tim Fidua, who was not only you know a former driver but is also current spotter for Kevin Harvick. Chris Gabehart, who is Denny Hamlin's crew chief. Uh, myself, Eddie Gossage, obviously the former Texas Motor Speedway track president. Alan Gustafson, who you know, yes, he's the crew chief for Chase Elliott right now, but don't forget. 
He's also worked with Jeff Gordon, Kyle Bush, Mark Martin. Um, so, you know, someone who we felt like could weigh in on a variety of uh, eras. Jeff Hammond, obviously uh, known more recently for, you know, uh, analyst role and things like that, being part of the media, but also was longtime crew chief for Darrell Waltrip. Mike Hembury, who is uh, one of the more esteemed NASCAR journalists currently with NBC. And um, he's he's someone who I've talked to for years. I used to work with him in NASCAR scene, and we've talked for years about, you know, the best uh, drivers and all that stuff. And I thought he would be great to weigh in. Tom Jensen, um, also a former journalist who is currently working uh, for the NASCAR Hall of Fame as their curatorial affairs manager. Mike Joy. You all know Mike Joy. Uh not only the longtime broadcaster, but quite the historian of NASCAR, really, and someone who is uh, integral to um, helping the Hall of Fame selection process every year. Parker Kligerman, Corey LaJoy, obviously two more current, younger drivers. Um, what's their perspective on the, the history there? Uh, Dustin Long, also of NBC Sports journalist. Uh, ben May, the Pocono Raceway track president. So you see there, we, you know, we've got like Eddie Gossage, former track president. We've got a current track president there. Um, Larry McReynolds, who obviously you go, you guys know from NASCAR and Fox, but was, uh, you know, a crew chief also for Dale Sr., Davey Allison, Ernie Irvin. NASCAR man RR. What a great, uh, this was, um, uh, Jordan, you came up with this suggestion, I think. Uh, you know, yep. uh, I don't even know his real name, but uh, the racing historian on Twitter, uh, he, he hasn't, I don't think he, has doxed himself or anything, but he obviously knows a ton about the history of the sport. Yes. And we wanted to have, you know, someone current, uh, sort of a current historian on there. So that was an interesting pick, but I'm, I'm glad he's on the panel. Great addition. Very smart guy. He's got a great sense of the scope of NASCAR. And I, I think he, I don't want, I know his real name. I don't want to give it away. I don't think he wants me to, so we're not going to, but if you don't follow him on Twitter, please do. Cause he is a must follow. We wanted to have some NASCAR representation as well. And we are fortunate to get Steve O'Donnell, the chief operating officer to be on the panel. Uh, Jay Pinnell, who has been a journalist, he's worked for motorsport games, and he also is um, the author of a book called Famous First in the History of NASCAR. And so he's obviously, um, you know, very knowledgeable about the sport overall. Um, here's one that could perk some ears up. Roger Penske. Roger Penske <laughs> is on our panel and voted. Um, and, Compliments to him. He got. He was one of the first people to get his vote in. He just takes yeah. care of business. So he was um, like. He immediately responded to the uh, to the ask like within minutes, and I was like, "All right." He was in. It was like, "Let's, let's get going." He. I think he might have been like the first one to say yes, or one of the first. I mean, it's it's amazing. You when you uh, sometimes you're like, "Man, how do these people get so successful and stuff?" And you know, you, yeah. you see how people work, and they're like, "Man, he he just responds right away." As much as he has on his plate, you know, it's crazy. <laughs> Yeah. Um, our friend Nate Ryan, uh, the esteemed NBC sports journalist, uh, Reed Sorensen, obviously another former driver and, and current spotter. Um, so we wanted to have his perspective of, you know, both the people he raced against and, you know, he sees the whole field now, um, you know, for the last half dozen or so years being a spotter, uh, Steve Wade, who really is one of the, um, the great, uh, living NASCAR journalists, um, Longtime NASCAR scene, worked with him back in the day and wanted to have him on the panel. Uh, Kenny Wallace, you guys all know Kenny Wallace, former NASCAR driver. And to round out our alphabetical order list, we have John Wood. We wanted, um, you know, he not only did, you know, John, obviously he um, raced himself, but um, he's, you know, working on the team ownership side now. Um, and, it, you know, he goes to the meetings, uh, you know, team owners council type stuff and, and, you know, we felt like, hey, we're, we're trying to get sort of the, you know, the older type owners, you know, with a, like a Roger Penske. And we have a younger type owner with a John Wood. But obviously with the Wood Brothers history in the sport, um, you know, the family is extremely knowledgeable and, and John's extremely knowledgeable. So that's our panel. And we had uh, obviously all those people's votes. We as part of the voting process, we granted them anonymity in terms of their specific voting. So you're not going to be like. Oh well, this is where Steve O'Donnell had you know ex drivers ranked. Um, they're just their driver. Their um, stuff all went into the average voting, and we're going to release this in a three part series. So um, it's going to be actually a little bit more than that. So we're going to do you know the first twenty five, then the next twenty five, 
Um, and then I think we're going to do like maybe 20 or something. And then we might do, you know, separate pieces on, on the final four as we count down to the big, um, reveal, but Jordan and I are happy to share our votes with you today. And, um, you know, at least generally, and we're not going to, I'm not going to go through all 75 of mine, but, um, you can kind of get a sense of, of what our sort of thinking was, what our debates were. Um, and yeah, I mean, I'll, I'll, I, I, it's interesting because, um, you know, as I see the votes come in, like, Oh, first place votes for certain people. When somebody would agree with me, I'd be like, Oh, Hey, yeah. Okay. Great. And then when other people would be, you know, disagree, I'd be like, man, huh? Okay. I thought more people might uh, have some consensus. So it's, it's pretty divided, um, you know, among the top four really. Uh, but generally I think there's already sort of a consensus among, you know, the top four, it's just the order. You know, when you talk about the NASCAR Mount Rushmore, uh, typically, you know, in some order you've got, you know, the, the Petty Pearson type contingent, and then you've got the Earnhardt senior Jimmy Johnson type contingent. Jeff Gordon always seems to be right on the fringe of it, but you know, he, he can't seem to crack that. You know, when you hear debates on Sirius or something, you know, Jeff Gordon fans always bristle at this, but he doesn't sort of get the goat conversation. Uh, no, why, why do you think anymore. that is? Because Jimmy surpassed him. I mean, Jimmy came in. Jimmy's first full season was a year after Gordon had won a championship. So Gordon was still very much in his prime. And Jimmy quickly usurped Gordon and became the man. And the numbers speak for themselves. Like, you can talk about the playoff formats and this and that and you know and how it helped Jimmy or, or whatever. The fact of the matter is, is those guys raced head to head and Jimmy won more championships. And that's undeniable. He didn't win as many races as Gordon, but he won more championships. He won five straight championships. Like that you you, you can't argue with. And the fact that they were teammates. So essentially uh, in the same equipment, right? It wasn't like one red drove for a different manufacturer or this or that. It's like Theoretically, they had the same equipment and they went out and Jimmy beat them. Like you can't. And so that is why I think it's it's pretty clear cut when you think about it of why Jeff is no longer talked about as the number one driver or considered the one of the top drivers of all time, at least not in that category like you were kind of classifying it because Jimmy's clearly beat him. Yeah, I mean, when you. When you come into, first of all, I mean, Gordon ends his career with 10 more wins than Jimmy did, but Jimmy ends up with three more championships uh, and in a format that arguably was harder to win because the points are being reset. And then when you go back and you look at like their head to head, there was 515 races they competed head to head. Now, obviously they're not all in their prime during all those, like Jimmy came in, Gordon was already in his prime. And Jimmy had to, you know, Jimmy won quickly, but uh, yeah. he, he sort of had to learn. And then, you know, maybe in Gordon's later years, maybe his performance falls off a little bit. But when you look at their head-to-head, um, just in terms of race finishes, not not actual wins, Jimmy finished ahead of Jeff uh, 288 times. Jeff finished ahead of Jimmy 227 times. So um, 61 more times in the races they were at, uh, Jimmy was ahead. And this is a pretty tough one to dispute. I mean, Jimmy during that time gets 76 of his career wins. Gordon only had 35 of his career, uh, 93 wins while they were both racing together. Um, again, same team. And yeah, it's, it's hard to, uh, it's hard to make that argument. Um, now again, I, I get why Gordon fans feel differently, but, um, when you look at the numbers, which is it's pretty obvious, you know, what you try to do. Yeah. I mean, at least in my view. So, I, um, I do think to talk about this conversation. I do think one of the great what ifs in NASCAR history is if Jeff Gordon hadn't said, "Hey, we should hire this guy, Jimmy Johnson," how Jeff Gordon's career would have looked differently. Yeah, I mean, you could argue Jimmy still finds a way and makes it in, but maybe he, you know he doesn't make it with Hendrick necessarily. So, um, yeah, but but you also could say, well, Hendrick. Let let's say um, let's say Jimmy starts his career with somebody else and, and does find a way in. Um, and, but then Hendrick, you know, you could say, well, Hendrick could have scooped him up, you know, five years into his career or something. So, uh, but that, I don't know. I mean, at that point, does he pair him with Chad Knauss then? I mean, there's just, there's this domino effect, right? That's and, true. It's true. I mean, yeah. there's, and honestly, 
I mean, let's be let's be completely honest. Like Jimmy's resume when he got hired by Hendrick, and he has spoke about this. This isn't the shot. It wasn't good. He had never won an Xfinity Series race. Like it wasn't like he was blowing people away, and he was like this can't miss talent. But Gordon, to his credit, saw something in him and decided that that he was the guy. And it's just it's a fascinating thing. It's one of those great what ifs. And and that was the other thing that came out of this was there's like you start thinking about things, and you're like, man, how about like Davy Allison, for example? Like I. I looked at Davey Allison's career and I was like, man, it was a short career. Like it is really good. And then you look at the numbers, you're like, darn, man, this guy was really, really good in a short amount of time. And he was just getting into like his prime years. And it's like, what would he have been able to do if he had been able to race longer? And then conversely, and this isn't anything new and you, you've heard this before, like Dale Earnhardt, seven championships, you know, Davey Allison, um, his career was cut short prematurely. Tim Richmond's career was cut short prematurely. Um, Alan Quickie uh, had just won the title, and then the following year, his career ended, and he was killed. And like you know, and so what? A Vernhart won seven titles. Like I, I don't know, but it's one of those things you kind of dive into as you're looking at this, and just there's all sorts of uh, I don't know what do you call it? butterfly effect or something of like that. You know? No, you're right. I mean, um, it's it's fascinating to see because. It- Whenever you, whenever you think about history, if somebody was there or not there, that takes away wins from somebody else. Just like you're talking about with Gordon and Jimmy, um, you know, and yeah, it's, it's interesting. I mean, I had, I had Davey Allison, for instance, uh, number 32 on my list. You had him, um, number 37, but again, you're sort of, you're, you're judging off what he did. And then you're also like, well, I mean, how much do you sprinkle in the talent level? You, it was interesting to see, I think some voters, looked at like, okay, who are the most talented drivers? Like they, they gave, you know, some guys with fewer wins, they, they boost them up because their talent level was amazing. And then some people were like, Hey, I'm just judging this more off like the numbers and the purely championships, things like that, of what they actually did accomplish, um, which is kind of the direction I went. And, you know, I was surprising, surprising to me about how many of the current drivers are pretty high on the list of guys who are mm-hmm. still, racing, like who made my, you know, say top 20, even, I mean, I have, I have Kyle Larson in my top 20. I have Joey Logano in my top 20. Yeah. Uh, Kozlowski, um, Denny Hamlin, Harvick, Kyle Busch. Um, so yeah, I mean, it's, there's a, I don't think, I think sometimes you, you sort of sit back and you go, okay, NASCAR history, like 75 years, so many names. It would just fill up this list. There's so many great names. Um, how could even the, the modern people like, you know, you hear this debate sometimes, Oh, Denny Hamlin, uh, you know, is he even going to be in the hall of fame? Uh, Oh yeah. Like first ballot, like it, it's it, not it even, even a debate. Yeah. It doesn't matter that he hasn't won a championship. Like I'm telling you, I mean, let's, let's talk about, um, like some of the, the, the you know, sort of surprising things. And I don't want to, you know, give away too much cause we're only dropping the first part of this segment, but I'll, I'll tell you driver number 75 to get this started. And, um, you know, of, of who is going to be number 75 when the list comes out tomorrow. And I think you guys are, people are going to be like, what? <laughs> He's one of the top 75 drivers ever. Alex yeah. Bowman, your guy, <laughs> Alex yeah. Bowman is the number but, 75 driver as voted on by our panel in NASCAR history. But when you look at it and you break down the numbers and you look at the list of guys who've won races at the cup level, like Bowman, it's not even a debate, honestly. Like he belongs on the top seventy-five. He's got seven career wins. That, if I have seven. it right, seven, seven career, career wins, wins like, at seven different racetracks. Yeah, and he's made the playoffs uh, every year. He's been with Hendrick Motorsports, right? And, All five seasons. Yeah, so I really and I kind of consider that the start of his career. I know he drove for other teams before at the cup level, but really, that was really the first time he had a chance to do anything. Like it's not even a debate. Like that was part of this too, is like guys you look at like, oh, there's no way. And then you're like, oh yeah, easy. Like it was like, okay, easy. You know, Alec Bowman deserves to be on this list. And and I will look at this and I'll tell people like, you tell me who you take off and then we're going to put on. Cause I I don't think we missed on too many people. When this list comes out, I don't think there's gonna be a lot of people who are like, oh man, that guy deserved a spot. Like, I think it's pretty clear cut a, a lot of the way. Yeah. I mean, there's nobody, you know, Bowman with his seven wins, you know, there's, there's nobody below him. Uh, with this, like a certain amount of wins, anybody in NASCAR history who who didn't make that list. I mean, you know, pretty much if you were in the ballpark of even, you know, a half dozen wins, you were going to be considered for people to put on there. But I think the voters then looked at, you know, some of the more, 
you know, like for instance, Ross Chastain got a couple votes to, to make it, uh, into the top 75, like, and some people had him decently high. And I think they're sort of looking at like, well, Hey, well, you know, what's he, what, what he did last year and, um, you know, his talent level maybe, but he also only has two wins. So if you're really judging just his career so far, I'm not saying by the end of this year, if he, if he wins even three more races, he's probably in the top 75, but with only two wins right now, that, you know, that's just not enough to make the all time 75 based on one great year, sort of, you know what I'm saying? So it's, it's interesting to see how people, how people view it. It would. And another, what if is if Chastain who finished second in the championship last year, close had somehow beaten Logano for the title, like all of a sudden, let's say he wins the race. He's going to have three career wins. He's certainly on this list, I would say. And it's curious to see where people rate him. Well, even if like, let's say, um, let's say Blaney even would have won the race. And then, uh, like, let's say just Chastain wins the championship and not the race. And he has two career wins in a championship. I do think people suddenly move him up into their top 75 or enough to make enough to make it. So, um, yeah, it's, it's just kind of interesting to, you know, it's like, this, this isn't going to, you know, there's, nobody's going to agree with everybody on this list. Right. Um, it's, it's subjective. It's, it's your opinion of, of what makes great drivers and things like that. You, you, uh, well, neither of us had Ross Chastain in our, in our top 75, but again, um, some others did. I mean, let's, let's see, let's see. Uh, he was the highest I have. I see him on this list. Somebody had him at number 61. So, I mean, there's, you know, again, people are like, Hey, look, let's, they're, they're looking at different criteria maybe than, than we do. Um, very interesting. So we, we kind of skipped over this, but, um, we're going at opposite ends of the spectrum here. Uh, who was your number one and, and do you want to defend that? uh, Yeah, I will. And I want to tell you this right now. Like as soon as I submitted my list, I had regrets. Like I went through my list afterwards again and I went, oh, oh, and I will tell you, I am still wavering on who had number one. I voted David Pearson number one. And to me, it was a 1A, 1B situation. Johnson, Jimmy Johnson was my 1B. I had him number two on my list. I I struggled with this a lot. Um, Ultimately, it came down to the fact that I talked to some people and they will tell you that David Pearson, when they watched him race, they thought he was phenomenal. He, you know, he never, he ran for the championship five full years. He won the championship three full years. He was the one driver of his era who could go toe to toe with Richard Petty. He beat Petty. 33 times, uh, the 63 races, they finished 1-2. He had uh, David Pearson's winning percentage is third best all time, I believe. And it's at 18.3, which is pretty remarkable. Um, And so David Pearson got my vote for number one. Again, I can make a case for Jimmy, and I (laughs) kind of have a little bit of buyer's remorse on that. Um, But it was really hard. But ultimately, Pearson was my number one. So yeah, like you, I have them one, two, just in reverse order. I have Jimmy number one. I've been trying to stay consistent on this since he won his seventh title. And I was working for USA today and I wrote the next day in the newspaper, Jimmy Johnson's the greatest driver of all time. And I just thought, well, once I say that, you can't really yeah, go I, back I said that too. <laughs> and forth. So, uh, well, okay, there you go. There you go. I did feel bad about it. I'm like, oh man, I'm going back. But it's like, it's hard. Like you go back and look at the numbers and talk to people. I don't know, man. I, I mean, get it. Thing, I mean, the J- thing with Jimmy is like, you know, the last couple years of his career aside, you look at what he did in that era. I mean, it's, it's pretty competitive now with parody and stuff like that, but it was back then, uh, you know, in, in the chase era, um, you had some huge heavy hitters trying to go at him every year. And he was like defeating somebody different for the title every, and it was like, okay, okay he, he beat Jeff Gordon. He beat, uh, Matt Mark Kenseth. Martin, Kenseth, Tony Stewart, Carl Edwards. I mean, yes. And, Everybody, it it wasn't some secret. Like it wasn't like the first year, like he snuck up on everybody or something, right? Like people knew this guy was good. Okay. He wins one in a row. He wins two in a row. He wins three in a row. Yeah. Who's going to stop this guy? Nobody four in a row. Come on, somebody, please. Like, let's throw our best stuff at him five in a row, like in an unbelievably competitive era where it, it was just, I mean, again, like this, this wasn't, I mean, the cars were, had more horsepower. They were harder to drive. Um, you know, it, this, this was not, 
you know, you hear some guys say today, Oh, the cars are too easy. This, there was nobody saying that at the time. That's for sure. <laughs> um, and Jimmy beat them all and, and he did it in a way that it, it's sort of, he made it seem easy. He made it look easy. You're like, what is this guy doing? Maybe it's Chad Knauss, but ultimately, um, the guy is just a goat. I mean, he's, he's just the greatest. I think, um, again, when you, when you consider the era that he did it in, and I'm giving extra points for that. Um, and yeah, like Pearson, Look, I never saw him race, right? But I talked to people who were around then, you know, like like a Mike Hembry. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Hembry was somebody I talked to. Yep. And I remember, you know, sitting as a very young journalist with with Hembry at the racetracks and um, him saying, oh, Pearson was, you know, Pearson's the best, you know, and, and he always felt that way. And I was like, really, Pearson, huh? And uh, you you talk to people who were around then and they just feel like he his talent was incredible. And he didn't, if he had run as much as Petty, right, like, people feel it would have been differently. Now he, again, we're not, you know, you can't say what ifs, right. But he still won 105 races. <laughs> um, so it's not like, it's not like he won 50 races and you're like, well, he was more talented. He just didn't get the results. I mean, he, he won, he won a lot. So, um, yeah, to me, I, I put him right up there, but I just can't quite put him past Jimmy. Cause I just think this era is just so remarkably competitive, um, that, yeah, I, and and of course I am I do have recency bias, but that's why we put people who are older than me on the on the panel. I, everything you say is correct. I, I don't argue, I don't argue with you. I, I get it, and I I don't begrudge anybody who va- voted for Jimmy. I don't begrudge anybody for David. Um, it was interesting that interesting people hear different people voting. Um, I'm curious your thoughts on Richard Petty, and did you ever give him any consideration? Because I, I it never crossed my mind to be honest with you. Like I have some very I think Petty is great and he deserves all the uh, acclaim, but I have some very clear thoughts on Richard and his career. And I think some, I think that I, I don't, I have a really hard time seeing him as NASCAR's all time best driver. To me, it doesn't even cross my mind. Yeah. I mean, I, I had him number four. Um, it wasn't really, yeah, I was never like, okay, am I going to put him number one? Um, I mean, yeah. I mean, you look at the 200 wins and seven championships and, you know, and all the records he has and, and all that stuff. But yeah, I mean, I do sort of, I mean, it's, it's, it sounds disrespectful, but you sort of ding him for some of the fields he raced against, um, you know, to, to pile up those wins And you know, I, I get how mad people were a few years ago when Kyle Busch got 200 total wins and there was some of the, the petty comparisons floating out there. You're like, do, you know, do Kyle's wins. Is that the same kind of thing? But I mean, I, I think it, you could make the argument that Petty won some of his cup races against fields that were Xfinity or truck quality. You know, I mean, is that, is that wrong? No, I mean, it's very accurate. And he was at a time when he had the absolute best equipment, the most resources. And he was one of the few, few guys who ran year in and year out, ran for the championship. Um, there was a little bit of window there when he went and drag race and, you know, had some fights with NASCAR, but largely year in and year out, he was running for the championship, running every single race, just about, and other guys weren't, he was one of the very few guys running for that championship. So when you do that, your numbers are going to, you're a compiler, right? That's what you're, you're, you're more. And, um, I, again, it's, it's, I don't want to be disrespectful, but it's, 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 it's hard to kind of, you kind of got to step back a little bit. And that was kind of when the Pearson argument was like when Pearson ran for the championship, he was better than Petty more often than not. And that was why I looked at it. Like, if that's the case, then I, he can't be number one on my list. I mean, look, you have, you have races like Richard Petty's 1967 season, right? Where he wins the 27 yeah. races in a year and wins the championship. Row. Yeah. And you're just like, wow, that's unbelievable. I mean, you can't, I wouldn't even dream to take anything away from that. But then you look at like, okay, he ran 61 races in 1964 and won the championship, right? Mm -hmm. He only won nine of those 61 races. Um, He had 43 top tens and he, he was the one that entered the races uh, like, like you're saying and won a bunch of them. And so he wins the championship, you know, that's one of his seven championships. And again, I'm not discounting. Like, I still feel like he's one of the top four drivers ever. He's, he's the King, all that stuff. Um, and he's been an unbelievable ambassador and legendary name for NASCAR. I just personally, um, you know, when you're saying who is the greatest driver ever, uh, he's one of them, but 
you know, even, even when you look back, like it was interesting to do this research, um, you know, because you'd see, okay, well, there's times when people say, you know, you'd, you'd look at old clips or something. Oh, I think junior Johnson is, is the best or something like that. Um, you know, like there, there was people of that era saying, Oh, Curtis Turner, what, what talent he had, you know, he Mm -hmm. was so talented. Um, fireball Roberts too, was a name that you hear a lot of. Yeah. And, and you know, so again, obviously a lot of people felt that way about Petty too, but it wasn't like he was the undisputed greatest, um, in his time necessarily. Um, so I, I don't know. I mean, again, people are gonna have different opinions. There's plenty of people who voted Petty number one. Um, just Jordan and I, Jordan and I's opinion is not necessarily reflect, reflective of the whole panel. No, We're just absolutely not. You know, There's... two, two young guys. Um, well, relatively young. I mean, I don't have any hair anymore. I'm but, young. Um, okay. Are we a year apart? I'm young. Okay. Um, so I, I did have Dale senior number three and, and you had him, um, number five. So you're, you're not as high on, you had Gordon number four. So you're, yeah. you're not as high on, on Dale senior. Why, why not? I, <sighs> I don't know. I, I just look at, I think that he was, he came at a time. I think he was the benefit. I don't say benefit. It's, there was, it goes back to what I said earlier. I, I think that if some things would have played out or differently, I don't know if he would have had seven championships. And again, it's a big what if game. And you could say that about probably petty as well. And there's probably things about Johnson, but I feel like Dale Earnhardt's career, um, I, I think, again, if Tim Richmond and Davey Allison, and I'll throw Ernie Irvin in there as well, um, you know, those things don't happen. Those careers aren't cut short for whatever reason. I don't know if Earnhardt has seven titles, and then I don't know if we're having this conversation. And so that was something I looked at. And so – I just, and it felt like, you know, Larry McReynolds said something on Sirius um, a few weeks ago, and it really, and it came at a really appropriate time because we were kind of starting this list and starting to put together thoughts and everything. And, and he was talking about how Dale back in the day just didn't care about qualifying. Like he just basically kind of threw out qualifying and like he had such a good car. He knew he could pass guys and he wasn't afraid to push people around the racetrack. And because the competition wasn't as deep back then, right? You could get away with it, right? And then as the competition got better and better, really into the 90s, when kind of kind of when Gordon came around, like you couldn't do that as much. And Dale struggled to adjust. And I don't know, that just kind of resonated with me a little bit. And so that that was that kind of factored into it a little bit. Um, and so ultimately I, I looked at it and I just said, this to me. Gordon was clearly better than Earnhardt. I know you look at the seven titles to four, but when Gordon came in, it it felt like Dale couldn't keep up. And yeah, I mean, there's age and injury and everything that Dale was dealing with, but still, it just felt like a night and day difference. And I so ultimately, that that's why I, I made the decision I did. And I, I don't, I don't know, I don't, I don't. That's one of the honestly, that's one of the few on here I, I really feel good about. I don't have issues with. Super interesting. I mean. You know, obviously, uh, my first race was 04 and I never grew up watching NASCAR. So I don't even really have, you know, I didn't, I didn't watch Earnhardt versus Gordon. So, you know, everything is, yeah. is only talking to people or highlights or things I've read or, you know, documentary type stuff. So, yeah, I mean, I guess maybe, it, maybe part of it is the, the Earnhardt mystique, you know, um, and, and the whole intimidator vibe and, and, you know, the highlights of seeing all the stuff he do. And you'd be like, man, and you look at his stats and the seven times you go, wow, that guy, something else. Um, but I wasn't around on a consistent basis to see. So, but again, this is why, this is why we have people who were on the panel. Um, and hopefully that balances everything out, but that's really interesting perspective. I mean, I can't, I can't ding you for that at all. I, I did want to bring up Tim Richmond because that was one area where you and I had, um, a pretty wide gap in how we viewed it. And I think that was one of the most fascinating things to me. I went down a huge rabbit hole once again. You know, I'd, I'd watched that Tim Richmond documentary. What was that on ESPN? Was that yeah, a, it, was a th- it was an original 30, 30, 30 for 30. 30. Yeah, yeah right. That was so did. good. Way back in the day. 
God, that, that was probably almost 10 years ago now or something, oh, right? Oh, yeah, it was more than that. It was like, oh, 10, 11, somewhere in there. Wow. I'm old. Um, so You're not old. <laughs> I am. I am. You're not old. Uh, so, yeah, so I, I had Tim Richmond um, number 42, and you had him number 62. Um, I don't know. I, I just kind of looked at like, well, I guess what was there a reason you you had him lower or, I mean, I don't know if you can remember your thinking compared to the other people you had, but yeah, um, I mean, it's, it's, he's got this like aura about him, right. Of like right. the great, what if career, that kind of thing. And I guess in, it's a tragedy he died young and his career was cut short. Um, but his career was cut short for poor choices that he made. Right. Like, let's be honest, like, there were some you, people tell you, I mean, and he had one really great year in 86 with his first year with Rick Hendrick and they were horrible the first half of that year. And then the second half of the year, they found lightning in a bottle. And that day's a thunder scene um, where they go to the racetrack and they say, we're going to do Perry Hyde, Perry Hogg tells uh, Colt Trickle, we're going to do 50 laps my way. Or we're going to do 50 laps your way. Right. Like apparently that was based on real life in a comment between Tim Richmond and Harry Hyde's group at the time. And that actually happened. And they, and Tim's driving style was so on it. Like he just wore out his car and Harry had to kind of slow him down. And once they kind of figured out each other, they 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 caught it. And they won seven races second half of the year. One of them was the Southern 500, which is a crown jewel event. Um, so it felt like that year Tim was going to break out and be this next great star. And he certainly had the potential to do that. And then the next year, his sick, he got sick, um, doesn't run the whole season, doesn't comes back. The first two races he ran, he wins at Pocono and at Richmond. I'm sorry, at Pocono and, and at Riverside. And that was it. And so it just felt like, I don't know. I, it just, it was a real short window. And so it was really hard to properly rate him. And what he did before he got in the Hendrick car too, he had won some races, but he wasn't like overpowering the competition. It wasn't like, oh my God, this guy's great. He was somebody who was very aggressive, who was really hard on his equipment, had a lot of DNFs. Um, so it wasn't like a Davey Allison comparison where Davey was like really, really good consistently and you could see this throughout like tim i don't want to say caught lightning in a bottle but i almost feel like in some respects maybe he did i don't know i, I i'm probably talking myself in circles here yeah you know, it's interesting i mean I, I you know obviously for me to put him number 42 i had to have him higher than you know a guy like um a ryan newman who won 18 races a casey kane who won 18 races because tim richmond won 13 races um but when i look at like the okay that, that 1986 year, right before he gets sick and yeah. ultimately dies from AIDS, um, you know, he, you know, that, that was the, those seven wins you talked about, that was the most of anybody in the series. Yep. Uh, and that included the Southern 500, as you said. And you know, the points standings that year end up being Dale senior, Daryl Waltrip, Tim Richmond. And so you're like, well, look at, I mean, look at who he was going up against, uh, to finish certain points. And the fact that he didn't even have a good first half of that year, um, I mean that, that those wins, I mean, I'm just like, wow, that's tough competition, a, a great field, um, great driving. I mean, to, to lead, um, the series in, in wins anytime in the eighties to me, that's like, wow. Okay. Mm -hmm. Um, extra points for that rather than, you know, like, again, like Greg Biffle, uh, 19 wins in his career, a Ricky Rudd, 23 wins, but a lot more spread out, um, than, than Tim Richmond. And so, you know, I, I do think the, if, if somebody has any sort of, you know, ballpark numbers in a shorter amount of time, I'm going to boost that up more, um, compared That's to fair. somebody that did it over, you know, a longer stretch or had a full career and got those numbers. So, um, yeah, it's just, it's just interesting. I mean, but again, I, I don't, I don't knock you at all for how you vote on this stuff. It's just, it's just the interpretation that people have of it. And that's why, I mean, I hope this project is going to be interesting to people and, and, you know, I hope people will, We'll find it. Um, obviously, we're going to be doing it on the athletic. If we didn't say that before, it's going to be rolling out. I think we're going to do uh, each Monday for the the big chunks. So it'll be. Um, I think the plan is, you know, again January thirtieth for the first twenty five drivers. That's tomorrow. If you're listening to this uh, on Sunday, and then um, the day after the clash, I think would be the next chunk, and then um, I think. Uh, like maybe 25 through 20 or something like, or sorry, 25 through five would come out um, the day after the Super Bowl, the Monday before the Daytona 500. And then we might do like features on, on the top four 
coming through then or that's that's the plan i don't know if we'll change that but go ahead i'm sorry i got a question for you. I, here's a driver i i struggled with and this may sound weird considering he won three championships your thoughts on tony stewart and where'd you rank him well i mean i i, I think certainly tony stewart you know you you could have made an argument that uh he had the talent to be even higher um mm-hmm. but you know he didn't always necessarily like i don't know apply himself or I just want like, to that you said that and not me. <laughs> no, I think that's. No, I don't I disagree with that. I mean, yeah, there there was times when would I mean Tony Stewart was so extremely talented that he could essentially coast a lot, right? Like on his talent or, or rely on his talent and not have to necessarily put in the work that I mean you would see guys. I don't know if Tony Stewart, for instance, would be successful today with having to study all the film and you know do all the stuff that these guys do to stay you know in shape and all those those kinds of things. I mean, Tony was just a natural, unbelievable talent. Um, I still have him number 10 on my list. You have him number 11 on your list. Um, I mean, I have him the highest. There's nobody above him, you know, that, that won fewer races than he did that I have. Um, I, you know, he, he won 49 races. Everybody above him for me on my list uh, has at least 60 wins. So I, and I have him above Kevin Harvick. You, you reversed him and Harvick. I have him above Harvick, who who has sixty wins. You know, for me, Tony Stewart with three titles. Um, That's the thing. Like he won three titles, three different formats or two different formats. Um, and that eleven, that two thousand eleven championship run. It's like, I, I don't know if that should factor in how we voted or not. But man, that's that to me, that stretch of ten races that he put together, winning five of them, and how we did it was incredible. But I look at Tony's career, and it was and it goes. I feel like his career could have been better and it should have been better than it did. Like 49 wins to me feels light. Like he should have had a career that more than 50 wins. He should have been in the sixties, if not higher. Uh, The three championships cannot be ignored, but also cannot be ignored. He never won the Daytona 500. He never won the Southern 500. He never won the Coke 600. Three of the four crown jewels in NASCAR. He never won. Like, and that was, a big factor for me and why I put Kevin Harvick ahead of him, which is Kevin has won all of those races. Yes. He's only got one championship, but I would also argue that he maybe wasn't in a position to win more titles before he got to Stuart Haas racing. And that he, you know, if he had been with an elite caliber team, like Tony had been throughout his career, I think, I think Kevin's career maybe would have been differently. Um, And I, you know, we, we talk about championships in this era and how maybe you got to weigh them differently. And I agree with that. And so I look at the fact that Kevin, since he's been at Stuart Haas Racing, has been in the championship for a lot as a, as a, as a real thing. Like, he deserves credit for that. And so I, I put him ahead of Tony Stewart. And I, I don't, it wasn't even really a, a, a much of a factor, a consideration for me. I, I didn't end up valuing the championship four appearances as much yet, but I think like another 10 or 15 years from now, yeah. um, that will be like one of the major things, like along with a crown jewel type wind or probably even more, I would probably even value those more than like a Daytona 500, for instance, uh, in a decade from now when it, assuming the format stays the same and it continues to be final four, final four, final four, um, I will definitely be looking at like, okay, well, this guy had X amount of final four appearances. So that helps me stack him up against other people of his era. Um, ultimately Jordan, we, we did have the, the same drivers in the top 11 before we started to, to branch off a little bit, just in a different order. So, uh, just to close this out here, I, I'll go through and, and if you want to make any more comments on why you put guys in certain areas. Um, so you had David Pearson, number one. Jimmy, number two, Richard Petty, number three, Jeff Gordon, number four. You had Dale Sr., number five, as we talked about. Then you go Cale Yarborough, Daryl Waltrip, Bobby Allison, Kyle Busch, Kevin Harvick, Tony Stewart. Uh, any reason for the Yarborough, Waltrip, Allison, or the Bush, uh, Harvick thing, anything? Because Bush and Harvick have the same amount of wins. Yeah, it's the Cale Yarborough, Daryl Waltrip, Bobby Allison. It's really, really hard. They're almost interchangeable. I mean, the, the deciding factor was Bobby Allison only had one championship, and Bobby Allison was his own worst enemy throughout his career. Like he would go to big teams. He had opportunities to really, if he could have just not, he was solely strong-minded. You know, to, he just wanted to do things his way, and he kept quitting great opportunities. Roger Penske, Bud Moore, and other opportunities, and 
he only won one championship is what I'm saying. And if he would have stayed with these teams and figured it out, I think he would have won more championships. But ultimately, those three guys raced each other for a long time. Bobby only had one championship. I put Yarbrough ahead of Walter because of the fact that Kale was the first driver to win three straight titles. And I almost feel like his career is a little bit overlooked in some respects. We we hear a lot about Daryl Walter because he's Daryl Walter. Dar- you want to hear about Dar- how great Daryl Walter is? Daryl will tell you, right? Like he was on <laughs> he was on the Fox broadcast. And like he's just a recognizable name. And Bobby Allison is is very much a recognizable name. Kale was just kind of a guy who did his thing and disappeared. And when his career was over, he owned a team for a little while, but he's not somebody that you ever see at the racetrack anymore. I haven't for a long time. And when you look at it, though, he had a really, really, really great career. And him winning three tra- straight titles was the deciding factor why I put him ahead of uh, Daryl and Bobby. Yeah, well, it's, you know, I can't really argue with that. Um, we we have a similar take here. And I'll, and I'll get your thoughts on the Kyle Busch Harvick thing in a minute because I want to dive into it myself. But so mine were um, Jimmy Johnson, David Pearson, Dale Sr., Richard Petty, Jeff Gordon. And then I, I go... Kale, Bobby, Daryl, instead of Kale, Daryl, Bobby, as you did. So I, I agree with you for the reasons you put Kale there. Um, I mean, you know, Bobby and Daryl, same amount of wins. Bobby, I believe, feels like there was one win that yep. uh, was taken away from him that he didn't get properly credited for, and will argue till his dying day that he should have one more win than he has, um, that he should be ahead of uh, Daryl um, in, in wins. Um you know, it's, it's a toss up. It's a toss up for me. I, I don't really know. I can't even really remember why I put one over the other. I'm sure I was looking at crown jewels or <laughs> I, I don't know. Um, and then I went, uh, Kyle Bush number nine, as you did. Then I have Tony Stewart and Harvick instead of Harvick, Tony Stewart. So we both felt Kyle Bush, um, is number nine. And thus, even though Jimmy's, you know, coming back for the partial schedule, um, we feel like essentially we have voted Kyle Bush as the greatest active driver. So why? Why did why did we do that? 60 career wins. Um he, you look at his numbers versus Harvick head to head. In fewer starts, Kyle's got more wins. And in this era, like, and I'm kind of he has made the championship four on the regular. He does have an extra championship that, that another championship that that Harvick does. Um, he is very good in the majors. Yes, Kyle Bush has never won the Daytona 500. Kevin Harvick has. But he has won the Brickyard 400 multiple times. He's won the Southern 500. He's won the Coca-Cola 600. Like he is really, really good. It's interesting is if we would have put this to get this list together like three or four years ago, I would have had Kyle Busch where I had you know about where he is now, and I would have said, oh, he's got a really good chance to crack the the top five all the time, right? I don't feel that's the case anymore. I feel like he's probably he could maybe climb another spot or two, but I think it's going to be really hard for him to do it. I think nine is probably about as high as he's going to get. And, and I kind of adding a, throw another driver in here is one of the takeaways I had from this is putting together this list was about Joey Logano. And that if we're doing this list 10 years from now, I think Joey Logano has a really, really good chance of cracking the top 10. Yeah. So we both had uh Logano fairly high. Um, now just to, to close the thought on the Kyle Busch versus Harvick thing. Um, you know, Harvick has, or sorry, Kyle Busch has, uh, 60 career victories. All 60 of his obviously have come while Harvick's been around. Um, Harvick has 54 of his, but I, I feel like, um, you know, we're I, to, to your point of how far could Kyle move up? Okay. So he needs 23, 24 more wins to catch that. Um, Jimmy, Kale, Bobby, Daryl cluster right? At least on the wins list. He's not going to catch Jimmy's seven championships, but let's say, okay. So let's say he wins, uh, you know, four races a year or something, four or five races a year to close out his career. Like he has sort of a later career Renaissance and returns to form from his last few years at Gibbs. Um, and you would think if he does that, then he maybe wins another championship or two in the process. So if he ends up, if he ends his career with say, 80-ish, low 80-ish wins and like four titles, I could move him above Kale, Bobby, Daryl. Sure. Um, but you're right in that he's lost a lot of ground now. A lot of ground. Lost a lot of time mm-hmm. by not winning as much these last couple of years. So, And he's no longer with a super team. And he's now with a team whose last championship, by the way, came in 1994. 
Well, I mean, yeah, it's this is going to be the the one of the great things about this season. It's going to be so interesting. Well, I will say this: Can I just another thing on the Kyle thing? If he does go to Richard Childress Racing and kind of becomes Kyle Busch again and starts winning a bunch of races, and let's say he wins a title, I think obviously he's going to shoot up this list because he's going to win races and then he had a third championship. The the fact that he carried Richard Childress, he he brought Richard Childress Racing back to championship status, I think is going to be like a huge feather in his cap. And that's like something you could say, like he took this team who for, I don't know what, 25 years or whatever that, however long it's been. And he brought them out of the wilderness and they were good for a while, but he brought them back to the championship table. That's, that's a huge thing. Like that, that's going to, that's going to weigh, that's going to carry some weight. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, just on your Logano point real quick. Um, you know, I, I had voted him, as I said, uh, let's see, I think I have him number, I think I, oh, I guess I have number nineteen. I might have said twenty earlier in the in the show. I had him nineteen. You had him twenty two, and oddly, just by coincidence, we both had Brad Keselowski one spot ahead of him. Now Logano has one more championship than Keselowski, but he has four fewer wins. Why? Why is Keselowski uh, better than Logano at this point? Uh, <laughs> good question. Uh, it comes down to majors a little bit. Brad's won the Southern 500. He hasn't won the Daytona 500, but he's won the Southern 500. He's won the Brickyard 400. Um, he's won the Coke 600. Um, Joey's only major right now is the Daytona 500. Um, and so that, that carries some weight. And I, you know, maybe this doesn't mean anything or I don't, maybe it shouldn't mean anything, but the fact that Brad Keselowski went to team Penske and is credited and not, you know, by a lot of people of like transforming team Penske because they were kind of lost for a while. They were inconsistent. They would be good one year, bad the another year. You know, he had never, Penske had never won a championship. They were always a team that like, you know, wait a second, why is Roger Penske's team not better than this? Right. And he went over there and kind of said, Hey, we need to do X, Y, Z. Why are we not doing this? Why do we not have an Xfinity program? You should hire this guy. And he changed Team Penske to where Team Penske became what we know them now in NASCAR. And I think, I don't know if that should have factored into my decision or not, but it, it did. And he was also the guy too that recommended that Penske hire Joey Logano. And so he really helped Penske position themselves to be great, to be elite, to be one of the teams where year in and year out, they are competing for a title. And they weren't like that when Brad got there. Okay, this is really fun. We could kind of do this all day, but I just want to do um, <laughs> one more one more pairing here. Um, Kyle You're Larson. You're not going to call me an idiot or anything. No, I mean, I again, this is a you know, it's your opinions. Oh, um, man. Kyle Larson and Chase Elliott. Okay, I had Kyle Larson number twenty. You had Kyle Larson number thirty-four, and I had Chase Elliott number 29 and you have him number 35. So we both have Larson above Elliot, even though they both have oh, one championship man. and they're only separated by one victory, but yet we have Larson higher. So why do you think that was? What Larson did at Chip Ganassi racing in, in kind of, reshaping them and his, you know, winning four races in 2017 with an organization and being kind of elite and emerging in that is much different than being at a Hendrick Motorsports and doing it. And I'm giving him a lot of credit and a lot of weight for that. And then the fact that his 2021 season is an all time season. Like exactly. That's yeah. one of those seasons we're going to look, I don't even think we fully appreciate it now. I think in the moment we kind of looked at it like, wow, this is really great. But I think like years down the road, you're going to be looking through this. And you're like, what in the hell? He did what in 2021? And not to mention all the stuff he did outside of NASCAR, by the way. But I'm talking like 2021. He won, what, five playoff races, led over 2,000 laps, won double-digit races. It's like, that's an all-time season. That Chase Elliott's not had a season like that. And Chase Elliott, frankly, probably should have had a season like that. Like, or something, you know, something of that nature. And he hasn't done it yet. But that's, that is a great, great, incredible year. Yeah, I think I, I gave major points for that season. I mean, he has the record for most less laps led in a 36 race schedule. Um, just, I mean, you know, the last driver other than Jimmy Johnson to get double digit wins, you know, in, in the last really couple decades almost. So, 
Um, yeah, I mean those, you know, when, when you win 10, 10 races in a year and, and get that record uh, on and route to a championship, I mean, it's sort of extra credit for a championship. Um, but yet it, it's just interesting. I mean, you, you do have those guys behind, you know, like, um, sort of the, the Bobby Isaacs of the world, Tim flock, Joe Weatherly, Rex white. I mean, Weatherly deserves it. I mean, Weatherly was a two-time champion and his career was cut short. He, you know, won the championship at back-to-back years. And then literally the next year, early in the season, got killed in a crash at Riverside. So it's like, he could have, he had a chance to be the first driver with three in a row. We just don't know. It's another great if, what if in NASCAR history. But you, you have Larson below him. I mean, Larson, you, I Joe Weatherly was a better driver than Kyle Larson, better career. I got two championships, right? Yes. Yeah. Okay. I mean, maybe. And again, I look at it like he could have had three. I don't know. It's, it's hard. And uh, we both, we, we, one thing we differ on, and I, I really should cut this oh, podcast because we could seriously go all day. Um, so we have, we've, we differed on how we view Carl Edwards versus Martin Truex Jr. I had Carl Edwards. I think I had Carl, Carl Edwards highest of anybody on the panel, perhaps. Uh, number 21 and I had Truex number 30. You have Truex number 27 and you have Carl Edwards number 30. So you you think that, I mean, uh, Truex had 31 wins, Carl 28. Um, again, Truex has a title. So that was probably, you, you probably factored that in. I have Carl as almost having two titles essentially. Um, so how do you, how do you, what's your justification for Truex having a better career than Carl? I, I think Martin Truex Jr.'s career is going to be one you look back on and be like, wow, that was really, really good. He he won big races. He won a lot of races. You have him he, higher than Kurt Busch, actually, by one spot. I, I do. Um, his stretch of, of winning the championship in 2017, he finished second three other times, I believe. Um, that can't be ignored. He was in this stretch, you know, five, six year, seven year window was just really, really good year in and year out. It's like you could pencil him in to win three, four, five races. And he was great in big races. He dominated the Coke 600. Um, he was a factor and he did win a title. And Carl to me is a driver who, yes, he, he won big races. Uh, he won the 600. He won the Southern 500, but he argued, I, I go back to 2011. It's like, you should have won that championship, man. You let Tony Stewart and like, how did you lose that championship? Um, he had year to year, like he would win, you know, like, let's say like 2011, right? He only won one race that year, but he was super consistent. And then the next year he didn't even make the playoffs. And that happened another time in his career too. Um, it was 2005. He won three or four races that year. And then the next year, get shut out completely like how do you do that like year to year like he couldn't string together great dominant years back to back to back and that that's a factor for me yeah that's that's interesting i i just feel like he had a he had a great career that was you know underrated and who knows what could have oh, happened yeah. had a couple I, things done differently i mean sure it, there's no uh i mean obviously one point first of all uh he needed one more point uh in in the 2011 um, situation and he would have won that title. And then, you know, that was over the course of 10 races. And then in the, uh, 2016 final four, had that caution not come out, he's potentially looking at a two-time champion had he won the two, 2011 one. And then it ends up being his last race. So, I mean, yes, and I, you can't operate in what ifs, but I mean, he was pretty good. Sure. Um, he was a championship caliber driver who won some big races and was going toe to toe with the heavyweights of his time. Uh, in a really tough era. So to me, he's, can, he's up there. But. Can I add one other thing on this too? And it's a little bit apples to oranges, but like throughout Edwards's career, he was always with big organizations. He started with Roush. He went to Roush when Roush was Roush, right? Like they were great then. They kind of tailed off a little bit, but he still was able to do things. Then he goes to Joe Gibbs Racing, which is another powerhouse. Truex's career is a little bit different. Like he comes in at DEI when DEI is falling apart and he sticks around there for a little bit. You could argue, you could say that he probably should have jumped ship sooner than he did. Then he goes to Michael Walter Racing. That place was a mess when he got there. They got better. They finally right the ship. Looks like things are going great. Then that wheels fall off there. No fault of Truex. And it's like he could, he didn't really get anywhere stable until he got to Furniture Row. And even that was like a last ditch thing. And that place closed up on him. Um, he didn't. Ha- so 
if he would have been with a great team, a stable team throughout his career, I would argue that his numbers would probably be better than Edwards. He'd be even better than Edwards. Interesting. Well, so many more debates to come uh, because <laughs> I have so as, many questions for you about this. I could talk about this for hours. I know, I know. And and as the the first um, chunk gets revealed, I'm sure Twitter will have a lot of opinions and things to say. But again, uh, hey, don't look at us necessarily. Uh, there's a lot of other people on this panel as well uh, <laughs> who were have accomplished a lot more than we have and been around a lot longer Direct than we have. All criticisms and complaints to them. All <laughs> all compliments. Just send them to our way. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah. No. Yeah. Yeah. Call up Roger Penske and take issue with his yeah. voting. Like he doesn't know we'll, what he's we'll, talking we'll about. We'll put right? his email on Twitter for you. Yeah. Right. Right. <laughs> All right. Well, anyway, um, hopefully you guys will, will look forward to that again. That will be posted on the athletic and, uh, we'll look forward to seeing your feedback and, you know, share your list and stuff too. I mean, we're, we're, we, you know, we by no means are saying ours is, is the definitive list. We, we tried to, put together a sampling of people who, who might know what they're talking about, hopefully. And, uh, but you know, you could add many more people and there'd be many more opinions probably. So, uh, yes. Anyway, uh, thanks for listening to this and, and, uh, we'll see what you guys think. And we'll be talking to you one week from today, Jordan, uh, at the clash. Look forward to it. Look forward to seeing you in person, my friend. All right, everybody have a great week. We'll talk to you next time on the Terry. Podcast.